Hey, well, can I just start off by saying that this is kind of weird. I am not in my comfort zone right now because normally I'm at Redlands where I can hear a crowd that's like cheering me on and supporting me and laughing at my jokes, hopefully, and I can't hear anything. So um, maybe, yeah, if you are listening, if you are agreeing with what I'm saying, let me know in the chat so that I know I'm on the right track, okay? <laughs> um, but I wanted to start off this morning actually um, it's really been laying on my heart that I have to um, share a bit of a confession with you actually this morning. And I'm nervous to share this with you. I know some of you will be kind of shocked to hear this. Some of you will be, um, I guess, probably a little bit disappointed in me, um, but I feel I've got to share it with you. I've got to let you know that I actually have a bit of an addiction. And um, this addiction is actually to corn chips. I am serious. I know some of you are shocked. Some of you are thinking, no, what? Beck corn chips couldn't be, but it is. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry to admit it. And it can't be any type of corn chip, okay? It has to be a specific type of corn chip. It just has to be a plain, original, really salty, delicious corn chip, preferably Coles brand, okay? If you're wondering what I mean, I mean these ones. <laughs> and it's locked down, which is why they're in my house. And see, the thing is, I have been trying to break this addiction for a long time and I am getting better, okay? Because as tells me, I don't remember this, but as tells me that when we were first married in like our first year of marriage, that um, he reckons he would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be there crunching on a bag of corn chips. I don't remember that, but he says that's what I do. He says that you know, he would just wake up and there I am munching on a bag of corn chips. And um, But I definitely don't do that anymore. So I have come a long way. I've come a long way. But I do still have this addiction. And here's the thing, I'm trying to break and I'm trying to be really good. And then as decides to occasionally go to the shops and he comes home with these and I get angry at him I get angry because here he is trying to tempt me and I know I've I've got no self-control when it comes to these things when he walks in the door with them particularly pre-lockdown I've got no hope they're gone right so I'm angry at him but then of course 10 p.m comes and I'm just craving a corn chip and he becomes the best husband in the world right because he bought the corn chips that I'm so desperately wanting and then I'm halfway through the packet and then I'm angry at him again because I'm like, this is your fault because if you didn't buy them, I wouldn't be doing this. But here's the thing. I think he actually gets a lot of enjoyment from tempting me, actually. Um, so please don't go buying me packets of corn chips because that's just going to help his cause, okay? And he's going to get way too much fun from watching me give in to the temptation. But all jokes aside, the reason I tell you that story is because... Um, Temptation is actually a very real thing in our lives. I know I'm making a joke of it, but temptation is actually a very real thing um, in our lives. And each of us are going to face moments of temptation. And, you know, other people might call it testing, temptation. It's a guarantee. And, you know, as I was looking, I was reading the Bible the other week, I came to Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter four. And it is the passage where it says it's called the temptation of Jesus. And this passage just jumped off the pages to me like I've read it before but there was something about it this this time that I read it and it just came alive and God really just taught me so much about it that I felt I wanted to share with you what he was teaching me and I think it's a passage where he was really teaching me and you um, his followers how to handle those moments of temptation that come our way 
And the and I actually want to encourage you, if you don't have your Bible and if it's nearby, grab it because I'm going to be referring to it a lot today. So I'll even give you a little second to run, grab it if you want to. I encourage you to have the word of God in front of you as is running to find his. <laughs> he, he could be gone a while while he tries to find it. And um, anyway, so we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 4. And in verse 1, it says this. Sorry, I'm trying to get on my, I'm trying to get my Bible and my iPad and everything sorted. And it says that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, as I think you just need to give up, you can't find the Bible. <laughs> um, anyway, so it's important to note here, it's important to note here that it was not God tempting him. It wasn't God tempting him. It's the devil. We were told, we're told in this scripture that it's the devil that was tempting him. And it's interesting because we actually see another name for the devil here because often we think of the deceiver and we hear of him as the deceiver, but here he's very specifically called the tempter. So it's important to know that when we're being tempted, it's the enemy, it's the devil that's tempting us. And it's important to note that, yeah, it's not God that does the temptation because James 1, 13 says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But the interesting thing is it does say that the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. So you might be wondering, well, why? Why would God allow this? Why would the spirit lead him into the wilderness if it knew he was going to be tempted? Well, maybe you're thinking, well, why would God allow me to be tempted? And what I think it's interesting to note is that just prior to this encounter, Jesus had been baptized, right? We were just talking about baptisms before, as he's talking about it. And the thing is, baptism, you know, in particular, um, Jesus' baptism, it was a really significant moment. It was a powerful and extremely spiritual moment. And after he came out of the water, you know, it says the heavens opened and the spirit of God descended on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. See, it was a spiritual high moment. And I hope you've had those moments in your life. Honestly, I hope you've had a lot of them. I've had a lot of them, those spiritually high moments. And for many of you, maybe it was your baptism. And I know for some of you it was because so often a lot of you come and ask us, oh, can I be baptized again? I, you know, I, I felt so amazing at my baptism. I just want to have that moment again. Can I do it again? And, you know, often when we chat with you about that, we often encourage you not to do it again. And it's not because it's necessarily wrong and it's not like we want to kill your joy or anything like that, but it's because we actually want you to build spiritual muscle because, see, after a spiritual high, you'll often be tempted after that. It's sort of like sorting out the emotional highs from the reality of a life of following Jesus. See, we're not meant to just live on spiritual highs. That's not sustainable. We can't just jump from spiritual high to spiritual high. We actually have to learn to do life with Jesus in every moment, in the high moments, the low moments, the exciting, the mundane. To me, I kind of think of it like a marriage. We all, Those of you who are married, you remember our wedding day and it's all excitement, right? You're on this high and then you've got the honeymoon period, which is beautiful, but then that ends, right? And then you start living the day-to-day -day with your partner. And it's not that wedding day moment every day. And so you've got to actually learn to build a marriage, a strong marriage, a happy marriage based on the every day. And it's no different with a life following Jesus. 
And, you know, you're never going to sustain or last in your relationship with Jesus if you're just jumping from spiritual high, from spiritual high and looking for the next one. I'm not saying they won't come. There will be hopefully many moments, many of those spiritual high moments in your life, but we can't build a solid relationship with Jesus if that's all we've got. We've got to actually learn to do it through it all. And as As and I were talking about this just last night, we thought, you know what, it's it's actually no different to those moments of worship in church. See, sometimes we can long for those worship encounters in church and there's nothing wrong with that. But when they disappear, like today, what happens? Are we able to be sustained in our um, relationship with Christ? And I think what we can also notice from Matthew's account of this story is that it says Jesus was baptised, then he was tempted, and then it says he started his mission. The next chapter is about him gathering his disciples, about him beginning to preach that the kingdom of God was near. It's when he starts his miracles and really starts his ministry. And, you know, the same will often happen to us, that not only will we be tempted after those spiritual high moments, but we'll often be tempted before we head into some of the most important moments of our life, those God-ordained missions ahead of us. And I don't know about you, but I want to head into those moments that God has for me with strong spiritual muscles. I want to know that I've been tested, that I've been tempted, and that I've come out the other side and that I've got a strong spiritual foundation and a strength I need to enter into that next season that God has for me. And some of you right now are probably thinking, oh, she's got it wrong. The Bible says that God won't let me be tempted. Well, I'm sorry to tell you that that's actually not quite true. Because in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this is what it says. It says, God is faithful. It says, God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. And we often read that passage as, oh, he won't give me more than I can handle. But that's not actually what it says. It says he won't allow you to be tempted more than you're able. He'll give you a way out. But you have to actually take that way out. You have to take that way of escape that he's providing you. It doesn't say he'll take you out of the temptation. It says he'll provide a way out. So we should be actively looking for opportunities to resist temptation. And what I love about this passage we're about to read further is that Jesus was given a way out right? And we can learn from his experience. We can use the tools that Jesus used. And that's what I want to teach you this morning. Because see, we're all going to face temptation. That's a given, right? We know that. But I want us to know how to handle it. I want us to know how to respond when these temptations come our way. And that's why I love this chapter in the Bible, because it shows us how Jesus responded. And we can just copy him in how he responds. So if we get into the passage, it says the enemy looked for a way to tempt. So it doesn't say that, but it says, we know that the enemy is looking for a way to tempt him. And in Matthew 4, 2, it says, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So of course, there we go. There's his weakness. There's his weak spot. He's hungry. So the devil preys on his weakness. And that is what he will do to us as well. See, in Matthew 4, 3, it says, the tempter approached him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And in the same way, the enemy will look at our life and he'll look for areas of weakness. And that's where he'll attack. And that's just an obvious plan. We do the same. You think about it when you're playing a sporting game, you look for the weakest player or you look at their line of defense and you work out where it's weakest, where there's a gap, and that's where you aim. So that's what the enemy's doing. 
And you know, in Ephesians 4.27, it says this verse, it says, don't give the devil a foothold. Or other versions say, don't give the devil an opportunity. See, if we know that the enemy is going to look for areas in our lives where we're weak, areas where maybe we're struggling with sin, that's giving him a foothold. It's saying, hey, devil over here, this is my weakness. Just come attack me right here. It might be things like, oh, look, she's jealous of that person. I can work with that. Or he's getting really frustrated at this situation. I can work with that. Or look, she's got an addiction in this area. I'm going to go for that. He looks for a weak point. And that's why I think we need to address our weaknesses or we need to address the areas of sin in our life, not let the devil get a foothold. Don't give him that opportunity. If you know you have an area of sin or weakness in your life that the enemy can use, well, let's get it under control so that the enemy can't use it. We want to get it under control before it's too late. So if we head back to the passage, we know that Jesus is tempted. And let's remember, this would have been a very real temptation. He's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. I mean, I just told you, I can't even resist a bag of corn chips, okay? So I've got no hope of lasting 40 days and 40 nights out there in the wilderness fasting, okay? So this is a very real temptation for Jesus. But this is his response, right? This is his response. This time and every time he's tempted, this is his response, the word of God. The word of God, plain and simple, scripture. His response every time begins with, it is written. And then he, he gives a scripture forward. He fights with a scripture. See, his weapon of choice every time, every single time is the word of God. And that's why I wanted you to go pick up your Bible this morning, because that is our weapon too. Do not good as, as found it. That's not ours as Bible, that's mine. <laughs> anyway, in Ephesians 6, Many of you will know this scripture in Ephesians 6. We're taught about how to dress and prepare for spiritual battle, for spiritual warfare. We're told to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against the tactics of the devil. We're told to put on the belt of truth. We're told to put on righteousness like an armor on our chest. We're to have feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. We're told to take up the shield of faith and to put on the helmet of salvation. And then we are told to pick up our weapon. And what weapon does Ephesians 6 tell us we should use? It says the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. The word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. And you know what's super interesting here? I hope this excites you as much as it excites me because I discovered that the Greek word that Paul was using in Ephesians to refer to that spirit, that sword of the spirit, is, and I'm going to butcher it, I'm not going to say it correctly, but it's makara. I just said that so badly. I tried to go on Google to tell me how to say it, and I just said it really badly. But anyway, this is how it's spelled, M-A-C-H-A-I-R-A. -A -A. Anyway, the reason I'm telling you this is because that word refers to a short sword. Rather than a long sword, it's referring to a short sword. And you might be wondering, well, why do I care about that? Why is Beck excited about it? about that well here's the thing why would he use that particular word well i think it's because he's warning us that this is going to be an up close battle this is going to be an up close battle this is going to be a personal battle you need your short sword ready to go this is not going to be the type of fight where we're standing from a distance throwing stones kind of like we learned about with david and goliath the other week no this is going to be an up close and personal battle we're going to need our short sword we're going to need the word of god so i hope that that's um, 
I just hope you find that as cool as I do because I just loved that when I discovered that because this is God telling us, hey, we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready. These battles are going to come. They're going to be up close. They're going to be personal. And when they're personal, they hurt, right? They're fierce and they hurt. And that's why we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready with the word of God. And I love that Jesus models for us in Matthew 4, not only to use the word of God, but how to use the word of God, how to use it as a weapon. He attacks with the word of God. He stands his ground and he fires back with the word of God. And here's what I love. The reason he can attack with the word of God is because he knows the word of God. We need to know the word of God because how are we going to attack with the word of God if we don't even know it? To attack with the word of God, you've got to first know it. And it's why we are always encouraging you. And trust me, we will continue to encourage you to know the word of God. We will always encourage you to pick up the word of God, to be reading it for yourself. Because here's the thing. When these up close and personal battles come, as isn't going to be there. I'm probably not going to be there. Your life group leader isn't going to be there. We're not going to be able to fight this battle on your behalf. We can prepare you as best we can for it, but you're going to have to fight this battle. So it's not enough for your pastor to know the word of God or for your elders or your life group leaders or for your parents to know the word of God. You've got to know the word of God so that you can fight this battle. It won't matter what we know. It will matter what you know. It will matter what you've studied, what you've meditated on, what you've hidden in your heart. That's what you'll be able to fight with. So in this story, the devil loses that one pretty simply, and so he moves on. And I found this next part so intriguing because the devil then tries to use the word of God to tempt Jesus. Isn't that just incredible? See, the enemy's smart, right? I'll give it to him, he's smart, because he's learned Jesus' strategy. He's learned that Jesus is going to use the word of God to fight him. So he thinks, hmm, okay, well, I'll just use the word of God against him. I'll just use it to tempt him. I'll turn it around on him. I'll take his weapon and kind of flick it back on him. And he thinks, I'll just skew the word of God a little bit. I'll just distort it a little bit. I'll just take it out of context. And then he won't be able to argue with it because it's the word of God. So the enemy tries to trap him with the very word of God. I just find that crazy. Here's what it says in Matthew 4, 5 to 6. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, and this is where he actually um, quotes Psalm 91. He says, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And I was astounded by this, I guess, because it actually made me realise this happens to us so often. Because how often are we tempted by the very word of God? Because we go, oh, well the, well, the Bible says it's okay. Or the Bible says this, or the Bible says that. But I want to challenge you. Have you read the whole thing? Have you read that verse in its context? Have you looked at the verses that come before and come after? Have you checked what the author really meant when he was saying that? Or are you just using it to mean what you want it to say? Do you actually know what the whole Bible says? Or are you just reading the New Testament? Do you know the full picture of the Bible so that you can truly understand what God meant when he uttered those words? See, I think this is a perfect example of when we don't know the word of God well. When we don't know the whole Bible, the whole story, the whole picture, where maybe, yeah, we're only reading the New Testament, not the Old Testament. I think it means we'll have holes and gaps in our understanding. And again, 
It's why we will encourage you to know your Bible inside out. It's why we say to you every time, sign up for Alpha, because we want to give you every opportunity to learn the Bible and to learn the story of the Bible and to know how to read it for yourself. We want to equip you for this. It's why we're always encouraging you to read your Bible, because we actually want you to have a mind that will question what you hear and what you read. I know, as I said that before, don't take our word from it when we say it on a Sunday. Go home yourself and read it and check if you agree with what we're saying. I'd encourage you to do that even today after what I'm saying. But what I love about this scripture is the beautiful thing about Jesus is he knows the scriptures back to front. He knows them back to front. So the devil tries to come at him with this scripture and Jesus just fires the word of God straight back at him. He's not fooled by it. He just fires back. It is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Full stop. He just fires back and the devil moves on. So then we get to the third temptation, Matthew 4, 8 to 9. And this is what it says. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. And I've used this quote before in a preach, but I just think it sums it up so perfectly. So I want to say it again. This is how Nicky Gumble puts it. This is how he summarizes this temptation. He says, it was a temptation to be dissatisfied with God himself and embark on an unscrupulous manipulation to achieve his ends by the wrong means. So we, we can read over a verse like that very quickly, but this is a huge and very real temptation for Jesus. It was ultimately saying, Jesus, don't go to the cross. You don't need to go to the cross. Don't go through all that pain and torment and horror. I'll give it to you. Don't go to the cross. No need. I'll give it to you. But I love that Jesus stands firm and he says, go away. And for a third time, he shoots the word of God. He says, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Again, he uses that sword of the spirit and the devil leaves. And, you know, I love this because it actually highlights the truth of James 4 verse 7, which says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, for years, I never understood that passage because I always thought that I had to be scared of the enemy. I always thought I had to be scared and run away. But I love that this verse says, no, resist the devil, which we now know how to do, fire back with our sword of the spirit, with the word of God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Have you ever thought how amazing that is? That we don't have to run away scared. It says resist him and he's the one that will flee. Isn't that amazing? And that's what I love that happens in this passage is Jesus stands firm. He gets his sword out. He fights back with the scripture and he flees. See, the armour of God that is talked about in Ephesians, it says put it on so you can stand firm. It doesn't say put it on so you can run away. It says put it on so you can stand firm. And you need the armour of God to stand firm, including the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And as we come to the end of this chapter, I just want to highlight something that I just think is so beautiful. And honestly, every time I read this and when it dawns on me what is actually happening in this moment, I actually want to weep, honestly. It's something that I had never seen before and I'll, or I'd never really understood before. And when God highlighted it to me, I was just, yeah, as I said, I could have wept. Because it says that angels came to serve him. It says the devil left and angels came and began to serve him. Did you realise that that's Psalm 91 in action? The very scripture that the devil tried to use to tempt Jesus now comes to be. 
And I just love that. I absolutely love that because the devil tried to distort it, tried to use it against him. Jesus stands firm and says, no, I'm not going to give in to them to that temptation. And let's think about it. This, temp this would have been a very real temptation. Come on, think about the state that Jesus would have been in at that time. That would have been a very tempting offer. He is hungry. He is exhausted. He's exhausted physically, emotionally, spiritually. He's just gone through intense testing and temptation. The thought of having angels come and hold up your arms, thats that would have been a very real temptation. How much he probably wanted that to happen in that moment, but he didn't give in. He used the word of God. He fired back. He stood firm. And then what happens at the end? God sends his angels to attend to him. Isn't that beautiful? Does anybody else just, does anyone else's heart just leap when they hear this? That's our God. That's our God. He's faithful. He's faithful. And I just love that. I think it's stunningly beautiful. If that's not a sign of victory, I don't know what is. A sign that God and Jesus won that battle against the enemy. And just to close this morning, this is a beautiful scripture I want to share with you, which is Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4.15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. And Matthew 4 shows us that that's true. See, we know that he had weaknesses just like us. He was tempted and tested just like us, in fact, probably more so. And yet he stood firm. How beautiful is the thought of having a Savior and a Lord who can actually sympathize with us, who can sympathize with our humanity, who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who's been through it all, who knows what we are experiencing. How amazing is it to have a high priest? And I just want to unpack that a little bit for a moment because some of you might be thinking, I don't actually know what it means to have a high priest. What does it mean to have a high priest? What does it mean that Jesus is my high priest? We know back in the Old Testament, this is what I mean by it's so important to read the whole Bible because it brings new meaning to everything. If you read the Old Testament, it brings new meaning to everything you read in the New Testament. See, in the Old Testament, we learn about the temple and we learn about this place, this inner sanctuary of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And it's where they believed that the presence of God resided. And so it was a holy place. And no one was allowed in there except for the high priest. And even he was only allowed in there once a year to bring the offerings to God, the sacrifices to God. And what I love is that this was the case until Jesus. See, one of my most favorite things in the Bible, one of my most favorite passages in the Bible is where it tells us that after Jesus came to this earth and after he died as our sacrifice on that cross and after he was raised, um, raised from the dead, I love that there's a scripture that tells us that the curtain in the temple was torn in two. I love that because you know what that signifies? You know what that's telling us? It's telling us that when Jesus died on that cross and rose again, it was over once and for all, that no longer did, did we have to try and get into that holy of holies. Did we have to um, get into that innermost sanctuary of the temple? No, what it meant is that curtain is ripped. We can enter in. It meant that now we have access through Jesus to God that we can actually have a relationship with Jesus. I just love that. And so that passage is telling us we have a high priest. We have a high priest who on our behalf went to the cross so that we can have relationship and be forgiven. 
We have a high priest and he's not one that stands off on a distance and is unable to sympathize with what we go through. No, he came to earth. He was fully God and fully human. And he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's able to sympathize with what we're going through. He's been tested in every way and tempted in every way like we will go through. He understands what we're going through. And he brought us the victory because he brought us access to God. And, you know, I want to invite you this morning. Like, I hope this, pas- this, this scripture, this unpacking of this passage has brought you encouragement this morning. I pray that you'll be able to walk away from here and know how, that you'll be equipped and know how to face these temptations in future, that you'll go away and read your Bible and you'll start tucking away in your heart scriptures that you can use in those moments of temptation. But I also pray that if you don't know Jesus as your high priest, that if you don't know him as your high priest, that I want to encourage you that it's so easy to have him be your high priest. It's so easy to have him be your Lord and Savior. And I want you to leave today with an assurance that you can be forgiven, that you can enter into that relationship with Jesus. And, you know, you might be wondering, well, how do I do that on Zoom? Well, we just want to encourage you. We want to be here for you. We want to pray with you. We want to have conversations with you. So if you jump off this call and you think, I want to know more, I want to know more about how to have Jesus as my high priest, how to have him as my savior and Lord. Can I encourage you, send us an email, jump on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message because we actually would love to chat more with you about this. That um that wraps that basically wraps it up for the end of this message. I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to Az. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you that even, um, you know what, even when a temptation like this morning comes along, the temptation to not go to church, the temptation to not log on, to not actually meet with believers. Lord, I thank you that 78 plus people decided not to give in to that temptation, but to actually believe what the word of God says and believe that it's important to meet together with other believers. So Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for technology that allows us to still meet together in our homes. I thank you that your word of God can be shared even through Zoom, Father. And I just pray, I pray for every single person listening, Lord, that you will just equip them with the tools they need, equip them with the scriptures they need to fight their individual up close and personal battles, Lord. And I just thank you for the word of God that is powerful, that is living and active, and that is so powerful, Father. And I just pray that you will give each and every person listening a love of it, just a love of the word of God, just a hunger and a thirst for it. Father, I pray even as they go off this call, Lord, that they will just want to open their Bible. And Lord, as they open it, I pray it will come alive to them. The Holy Spirit will speak to them. Lord, help them to understand it. Help them to understand the words of scripture, that what you are trying to say to them. And Father, I just thank you for the cross. And I thank you that because of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, that Father, we have access to you. Lord, that we can pray to you like this, that we can know and have assurance and have hope that one day we will be with you in paradise. And I just thank you in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We believe this message will inspire you into greater intimacy with Jesus, relationship with others, and influence in your world. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit us online at www.elevationchurch.com.au.